Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. The Academy Podcast is brought to you by the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy is dedicated to creating safe space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about our five-day and two-year retreat offerings, visit academy.upperroom.org. I'm your host, Claire McKeever-Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy. I'm also ordained clergy, a birth and postpartum doula, a yoga, dance, and movement instructor, a writer, a mother, a partner, a friend. We're glad you're here. In this month's episode, we hear from Catherine Damiano on how we live life as a divine office and on how we understand all things as sacramental and therefore as sacred. Catherine offered the following teaching at Two-Year Academy 33 in Donaldson, Indiana in November 2013. Catherine, both a Quaker and lifelong contemplative, is a teacher of in-depth spiritual life studies and a retreat leader who sees her ministry as working for peace and justice through spiritual formation. She has worked as a spiritual director at Pendle Hill, a Quaker center for study and contemplation, and she holds a Master of Divinity degree from United Theological Seminary, as well as a Master's in Counseling Psychology and a PhD in Spiritual Theology. A native of New Jersey who now lives on the open plains of Kansas, Catherine is a regular faculty member of the Academy for Spiritual Formation and sits on the Academy Advisory Board. Catherine's teaching invites listeners into a holy place of listening and awe, of honesty and vulnerability, of hope and promise. How do we live life as a liturgy? How is everything sacramental? What does radical ordinariness look like? Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy. Creating a rule for life is coming up with your own structure, rhythm, uh, rule that you might continue this outpouring of grace and cooperate with it. You've heard of the rule of St. Benedict. I already heard that mentioned since I've been here 1,500 years ago. And John Wesley had a rule. Uh, the general rules of the Methodist societies, do no harm, do all the good you can, practice individual and corporate spiritual disciplines. I guess it's in the book of discipline, huh? I think so. So how do we live life as a liturgy, as a divine office? Some people might say, how is our life our text? Quakers would say the continuing revelation of Christ. It didn't just, Jesus didn't say everything all at once, but that he continues to be revealed and we need to be awake to that continuing revelation. So it's not a formula, so I invite you to listen to what might be inklings, nudges about your own rule. And I will give some framework to help you uh, discern that. This session this morning, I'll talk about radical ordinariness. 
So let's look at ordinariness. Everyday sacramentality, sacrament making the invisible visible. So attending to the everyday things in life can be sacramental if our mind is in a place of attention and intention. So everything you do can be sacramental, potentially. The routines of everyday life, the day-to-day -day efforts and institutions and relationships and, and maintaining life. Imagine, we could be really happy instead of struggling or judging and evaluating all the time. I've got to get over this to get to this good thing. We're just deciding that this is good or this is worthwhile. We live a divided mind, and that is not the mind of Christ. So how is everything sacramental? Cannot, I cannot do that in my own strength. I continue to have to ask for the guidance of Christ. Show me another way of seeing this. So get glimpses of the kingdom, the community of God in everyday life. The highfalutin word is realized eschatology. And the Catholics who have a lot of money to do this kind of research find out, found out that the common traits of saints is a heroic fidelity to the ordinary. A heroic fidelity to the ordinary. And Wesley uh, recommended uh, to his uh, small groups to read Practicing the Presence of God. That was a biggie for him. You remember old Brother Lawrence that found God among the pots and pans? It, well, oftentimes they don't tell the early story. He had lots of challenges. He got thrown out of the army, and he uh, tried to be a domestic and failed at that. And out of desperation, he showed up the monastery, and the elders who were... What wise this time said, have we got a job for you? And we put, they put him in the kitchen. And he found in those simple tasks, often repetitive tasks, help you center down. And that worked for him. So it might be a practice to go back in your life, kind of some stepping stones, and reclaim as spiritual some things in your life that you hadn't termed that way. And see how the spirit worked in them. So let's look at some characteristics of rhythm. Where I lived at Pendle Hill, we is also a monastic rhythm. It's a Quaker community near Philadelphia. And we did manual labor. And there is some reason that St. Benedict included that. When you're really involved in using your body in work, could be cooking or housekeeping too. Um, you're open to the spirit working on you. And I would, along with the landscaper, groundskeeper, have silent um, raking of leave time. And people that would come in from the outside would say that was the best experience they had in the whole retreat. And this was a 26-acre arboretum we lived on. So there are lots of great leaves. We'd pile them silently. We'd pray before we'd rake. We'd rake, uh, throw them in this truck dump them, and jump in them silently. So manual label, cleaning a house with other people in silence, deep cleaning, floorboards and everything. That was another experience of manual labor. But in the monastery, the bell rings. And even if you are experiencing God mucking out the stables, the bell rings, and you go to the choir, 
or you go to the scriptorium. So you're not caught up in any form. That this is the only way, if I keep muck in the stable forever, I'm going to have God. And so the same thing happens with the academy. You can think, oh, this was God here. Now I go back to Hoboken, and where's God there? People are going to say, boy, after two years, Ralph, you don't look any different to me. And you've had this real in inward experience. So the bell rings, and you have to shift so you don't idolatrize the form like we humans tend to do. So what gets in the way of radical ordinariness? I'm sure you have your list, but let me uh, give some framework. That seems to be the dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. This is holy, this isn't holy. How can we reclaim everything to be a holy act? And God uses as raw material everything in our lives to transform us, to transfigure us. We're waiting, we're on hold. I talked about that already, be, to get spiritual after I finished whatever. We, to demystify spirituality, it has to be lightning bolts, direct messages from God, when in the ordinary, it's very ordinary oftentimes. Sometimes we get zapped at the bus stop, but most often it's very day by day, not dramatic, not getting a sign necessarily. So for waiting for the sign for what your next step is after the academy may not be the way to go. It may be, use me, God. I just want to be. Let me absorb what you have taught. May I be fallow with you. Rest in the arms of God. You need to rest after being in the greenhouse. expectations of what spirituality is, the forms it should take. It should look like this, ought, watch out for those words. You may be afraid to pray because you might get what you pray for. You might think the mission field is deepest, darkest, wherever, but it could be Wichita, Kansas. I was praying for Mount Shasta myself, where everybody's auras glow, and I got Wichita, Kansas. And I'm from the Bronx. We have an addiction to change. We have to have choices. Uh, when there is something very holy that I found out with these old order groups, to having boundaries, and sociologically they call them hedges, uh, where you kind of know that this is my piece of the pie right now, and this is what I'm saying yes to. So when the nominating committee calls and said, we want you to do this, this, and other thing, you can remember this is your piece of pie. You will reevaluate in six months and say, no, I don't believe I can do that, or let me pray about it and, and see how that fits in. But there are boundaries can be very, very helpful for you to know what is yours. Everything cannot be yours. It's called death by ministry. And it's a kind of simplicity to begin to have these boundaries and dimensions to who you are. We always think of simplicity as materialistic. That often comes because you just don't want to be distracted by taking care of all this stuff so much. It's a natural thing. But simplicity of attitude, too, to begin to say no, to know what God is calling forth at this point in time. 
and it limits the distractions. A common affliction can be acedia. Perhaps you've read Kathleen Norris's book called Acedia and Me. I just love the title. It's kind of boredom, uh, what happens in ministry over the long haul, anyone that needs self-motivation to do their job, people that work in isolation like artists and writers, uh, and, 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 and it can bring about a kind of depression. Kathleen Norris's book is good to show how an artist, she's a poet, um, after she would write something and feel so creative, there'd be a big crash. I'll never write again. Nothing's coming. Everything's blank. And she would go into depression. She had friends that were seriously into drinking uh, because of this crash after creativity. I believe that this happens in the ministry, too. After big celebratory times, I, often I, don't, I ask pastors, is there any lull? I mean, you are planning the next season months ahead. You never really get to worship uh, in the season that it is. So it's very unnurturing. So you have found in this parachurch situation of the academy other ways to be church, to experience church. You can go back to your circumstances. You still have toes in the institution. But you know church is much bigger than the institution. And it frees you to lower your standards. That this should nurture me, or I should be getting something. No. You need to hang out with some of these folks, give these people a phone call, have some spiritual friends, take your cup of coffee, stare at your favorite tree. You'll find church in different ways. Isn't that great what you've learned here in that way? So watch out for the acedia. The if-onlys, if only this would be. Thomas Burton is really the poster person for the if-onlys, if you read some of his journals. He would say, if only we had a new prior. If only I could start a foundation in Alaska. Uh, and he would, as you read his journals, each week he'd come up with it, if only. Of course, he had taken a vow of stability to stay in, stay in Gethsemane, Kentucky, for his whole life. So what in the ordinariness is a vow of stability for us? It could be staying in your church, staying at the table with those folks that drive you nuts, <laughs> that you sit next to. I live with Parker Palmer in community that you may know as an author. Uh, he said the definition of community is living with someone you'd least like to live with. And when that person leaves, they are replaced by another obnoxious person. I add, I am that obnoxious person for someone. Is that the truth? So church is a crucible. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to transform us. And we experience joy in that, joy beyond pain. These Christian paradoxes that we'll look at uh, some more. In the monastery, there might be Brother Cyprian. Maybe you have one in your congregation who sits across from you your whole life and slurps his soup and gets noodles in his beard and it offends you terribly for a few years. And then he becomes kind of endearing, old brother Cyprian. And you come to love him in a way. And then he's not there any longer and there's such an emptiness. 
So staying at the table is not encouraged in our culture, is it? Sticking in there for the long haul. We don't know much specifically from Jesus about the long haul. His ministry wasn't very long. I guess we can extrapolate it has to involve love. But, you know, what about 30 years in the ministry? What, what does that do to you? That's the long haul showing up in faithfulness. The demon of busyness, another thing that gets in the way of radical ordinariness, which is really a state of mind. You know you can get a lot done and not be in a frenetic pace. So how to be in a much more contemplative pace and still move through your day rather than the to-do-ness frenzy. The, the multitasking of our culture, exacerbated by all the um, electronics that we're never alone, we always have to be available. Is that really true? Do you have to always be available? I suggest to the directees that I see that are clergy to X out times, to wear jeans and say, this is, I'm here for half a day and then I'm out of here, or whatever kind of symbol might say, I'm only here for a small time. There's tolerance of violence with multitasking, is it? I notice click the attitudes, people just don't have the time. There's not that inner hospitality. You know, I know the Methodist Church had this big thing about hospitality a few years ago and banners and open doors and all that. But I wondered about the inner hospitality that Henry Nowen talked about. There has to be some space to welcome people, and people can sniff this out, whether you are inwardly hospitable or not, no matter how many banners you have. So you have to watch this demon of busyness. So let us begin to look at the rhythms of our own lives. Perhaps we can identify with changing the storm windows for screens or vice versa. Taking down the seasonal clothes. Replacing perhaps bed spreads and drapes for the appropriate season. Putting the garden to sleep. Checking the cooling or heating system of the car as part of our seasonal cycle. Do you have a cycle like that? Perhaps you'd like to reflect on the rhythm of your congregation, the liturgical seasons, the customs and practices of your specific congregation. Is there any slight lull in the year? What you might learn from fallow time. Might there be a jubilee year? As a pastor or church leader, do you plan time for rest and also know the times when you will be consumed and need not to rely on your own strength?
Catherine's teaching offers myriad invitations into deep inner work. How do we order our time? What does fallow time look like in the midst of the everydayness of our lives? When professional and personal demands on our time, our finances, our energy do not relent, what are we to do? Where are we to go? In the past few months, I've adopted the practice of Friday Sabbath. Fridays are not the day I'm in the office, and while I teach a yoga class on Friday mornings, the rest of the day is mine. It is so tempting to use this time for catching up on all the work that doesn't get done when I'm in the office focusing on the academy, cleaning the house, doing laundry, running errands, yard work, the list goes on. Yet I make a deliberate and conscious choice on Fridays at noon to attend a yoga class I don't teach, and then I go home and paint. I turn off my phone and simply invite myself to play in color. The time it takes is the time it takes, and while some Fridays this feels more challenging than others, I am aware of how much more expansive life feels when I engage the practice of Friday Sabbath. I am aware of how much more free I am to re-engage all the other mundane, ordinary tasks of my life when I give myself the time and the space to do that which brings me joy. Creating a rule of life, then, seems to be, at least for me, an invitation into joy, into a fallowness that is all about resting in a new rhythm in order to bring about creativity and regeneration that perhaps have always been there just below the surface, waiting for eager hands and an open heart to till the ground and find them again. In our living, in our loving, in our resting, in our playing, in our working, in our being, may we be found in joy, comforted in peace, motivated by justice, and sustained in love. Amen. To hear more from faculty like Catherine Damiano, who are spiritual directors, pastors, professors, authors, and experienced pilgrims and practitioners in the area of spiritual formation, join us at the next five-day or two-year academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.